And if you'll turn to your Bible or you can look at the overhead, we're going to read the first 15 verses of 1 John 5. 1 John 5. And we'll start with verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one that, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Amen. The word of the Lord. Amen. This morning, I would like to just look at a few minutes at that we may know. And as I was reflecting upon this, I, I noticed that the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 1, reflected on this message as well in this passage. Lord's Day 1 is asking, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the victory that we have. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who has that faith? Who, who may overcome the world? Those who have that faith. Those, those that have the Lord in their lives. So how can we get that? How can we get this only comfort in our hearts, how can we get this in life or in death? There are three ways, as we read the Word of God, we, there's three ways that the Bible teaches us to increase our faith. The first one comes from Romans 10, verse 17. We heard it a little bit earlier. Read the Word. Get into the Word of God. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the Word of God. We read the Word. And then James tells us, do the Word. It's not good just to read it. We need to do it as well. There's no sense having a lawnmower's manual, an owner's manual, and never read it. Read the manual. We have the Bible. Read the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Be doers of the word. 
And then thirdly, the only time we see the word test in the Bible comes from Malachi 3, verse 10. Test the word. Test me and see if this is true. Test me. See what the word says. If the word says love your neighbor, love your neighbor. If the word says do not gossip, do not gossip. If the word says give a part of your tithing to the Lord, give a part of the tithing to the Lord. If it says honor your father and your mother, honor your father and your mother. And here comes the promise that your days may be long upon this earth. Read the word. Do the word. And then obey the word, test the word. As we read it, as we, as we test it, as we do it, our faith will increase. And that will give us a victory in this world. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. The word of God reveals much about our comfort in life and death. Years ago, I came across a, a spiritual rant, if you would like, and it went something like this. It's called, He's My King. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of it all. He is the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He always was, always is, always will be. He's unmoved, unchained, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and he brought healing. He was pierced and he eased pain. He was persecuted and he brought freedom. He was dead and he brought life. He was risen and he brings power. He reigns and he brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. The schools can't explain him. The leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. Pharisees couldn't confuse him. People couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. New Age can't replace him. And Oprah just can't explain him away. He is light. He is longevity. And he is Lord. He is goodness. He is kindness. He is gentleness. He is God. He is holy, he is righteous, he's mighty, he's powerful, he's pure. His ways are right, his word is eternal, his will is unchanging, and his mind is on me. He is my redeemer, he is my savior, he's my guide, he's my peace, he's my joy, he's my comfort, he is my Lord, and he rules my life. I serve him because his bond is love, his burden is light, and his goal for me is to have abundant life. I follow him because he is the wisdom of the wise, the power of the powerful, the ancient of days, the ruler of rulers, the leader of leaders. He's the overseer and the overcomer. The sovereign Lord is the Lord of all. He was, he is, and he is to come. And if that seems impressive, try this. His goal is to have a relationship with me. He will never leave me, never forsake me. He will never mislead me, never forget me, never overlook me, and he will never cancel his appointment in my appointment book. When I fall, he lifts me up. When I fail, he forgives. When I'm weak, he is strong. When I'm lost, he is, he is the way. When I'm afraid, he is my courage. When I stumble, he steadies me. When I'm hurt, he heals me. When I'm broken, he mends me. When I'm blind, he leads me. When I'm hungry, he feeds me. When I face trials, he is with me. When I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he's there to comfort me. When I face loss, he provides for me. When I face death, he carries me home. He is everything for everyone, everywhere, every time, in every way. He is God. He is faithful. I am his and he is mine. My Father in heaven can whip the Father of this world any time, any day, any way. He said it. That settles it. I believe it. He is my king. And God is in control. And I am on his side. And that means all is, well in my, all is well with my soul. God is my father. And I've been with the king. 
and that gives me comfort in life and in death. Hallelujah. Have we been with the king? Have we been with Jesus? Acts 4 verse 13 cuts a very clear picture of what it means to be with Christ. Peter and John were among the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jerusalem, and there was nothing that they could do about it after the healing of the man. And the Pharisees said, these men are untrained, they're unschooled, they don't know what they're doing, but we recognize they have been with Jesus. And it doesn't matter if we're a tax collector, if we're a fisherman, if we're a farmer, if we're a teacher, it doesn't matter what we are, if we have been with Jesus, we will radiate with the love of Christ. People will see it. They will know. They will see it on your demeanor. They will see it on your disposition. Even though many things may go wrong, they had been with Jesus. And God can use us in any way, in every way. And it doesn't matter what we are. The Bible is clear about that. Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. John Mark, he deserted Paul. Timothy had ulcers. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Amos, Amos was just a fig tree pruner. Jacob was a liar. Solomon was too rich. Jesus was too poor. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of dying. Lazarus was dead. James and John, they were self-righteous. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Moses was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas, they doubted. Jeremiah was, was suicidal and depressed. Elijah was burned out. John the Baptist was a loudmouth. Martha was a worry wart. Noah got drunk. Moses, well, he had a short fuse, and so did Peter, so did Paul, well, so do many of us. But God can use us all. He can use us all in, in, in wherever we may be, whether it's at Tim Hortons or McDonald's, whether it's at General Coach or whether it's on the farm, whether it's at school at South Huron or at Clinton, wherever you go to school, God can use each one of us as we let our light shine. God does not require a job interview. His gifts are free to us. Satan may say, you're not worthy. But Jesus says, so what? I am. I am. Satan looks back and sees our mistakes and points them out to us. God looks back and sees the cross. He doesn't calculate how we failed last year. He doesn't calculate what our record is like. We don't have a record with him except for that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. God looks at our heart, looks at your heart. Are we humble? Are we contrite? Brothers, brothers and sisters, every time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. We are children of God. What is your, what is your only comfort in life and death? It's that we belong to Jesus Christ. And because of that, we may see in 2 Corinthians 5 or 17 that we are a new creation. The old has gone. The old has gone and the new has come. We are ambassadors for Christ, Paul tells Corinthians a little bit later in verse 20. We're ambassadors of Christ. We represent him as we let our light shine. So how can we increase that faith? How can we, how can we move forward today as we leave this building? How can we increase that faith? We read the word do the word, and then test the word. It will have that comfort. Everyone who is a child of God overcomes the world. It's our faith that will have that victory. And whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and, and this is the victory that we have. It's our faith. It's our faith. And, and there, there lies in the equation 
the two-by-four building the house, of you, if you will. How do we get faith? Let's back it up a little bit. Faith comes by reading the Word, getting into the Word of God, get into the Bible, open it up. And, and millennials today, they will have it on their cell phone. And, and those who are a little bit older, we, we have it in print. And those who can't see, they, they hear it on, on a disc. Get into the Word of God. And so John brings us a full circle. Every, everybody who is a child of God overcomes the world. It's our faith. It's our faith. For, forgive the repetition, but John mentions it several times here. Who wins against the world? Those who have faith. How do you get faith? Get into the Word. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And as believers, we're born again. And as we are born again, we will not experience the second death. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Revelations 2, verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. What is, what is the second death? The second death is dying without knowing Jesus as your only comfort in life and death. To experience this truth, we must confess Christ before we pass away. John wrote in this epistle, for this reason, that you may know, that you may know, and here we are, that you may know that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have eternal life. The devil comes to steal, to destroy, and to, and to murder, but Jesus says, I have come, I have to come to give life and life more abundantly. Not just now, not just here in the physical, not here in the 30, 40, 70, 80, 90 years, but thereafter in death. That's our comfort. That's our comfort. May I, may I share with you just one, one illustration here in closing here. When the war in Afghanistan broke out, a son had gone overseas. He was a very courageous young man, and he died in battle while he was rescuing another soldier. The father was notified, and he grieved deeply for his only boy. And about a month afterwards, there was a knock on the door, and there stood another young man at the door with a large package under his, under his arm in his hands. And he said, Sir, you don't know me, but I am the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day, and he was carrying me to safety when the bullet struck him, and he died instantly. He often talked about you, sir, and, and he shared with me that you had a great love for art. And the young man held out this package. He says, I know this isn't much, and I'm not really much of an artist, but I think your son would have you want this. And the father opened the package, and there was a portrait of his son, painted by the young man that stood in front of him. He stared at awe at this picture, at this painting that the soldier had captured of his son, the personality, the eyes, the sparkling eyes, and the father was drawn to the picture, and he just welled up, and he was, he was weeping. His son was, was captured in that picture. He thanked the young man, offered to pay him for the picture. The young man said, oh, no, sir, I could never repay what your son had done for me. This is my gift to you. The father, who was a notable art collector, took that painting and he hung it up over his mantle in his large mansion over top of the fireplace. And he showed it to visitors that had come by often. This is my son. This is a painting of my son. 
And he had many other great works which were back in, in the various parts of his house. But he showed his son regularly and with much, much pride and delight. Sometime later, this dad came to pass away as well. And there was a great auction for his, his paintings and his estate. Many influential people came to the auction, excited to see the great paintings and to have an opportunity to purchase one of these for their collection. And as the auction began, the painting of the sun stood right in the middle of the front platform. And the auctioneer pounded the gavel and said, we will start bidding for the picture of the sun. Who will bid for the sun? Well, there was silence. And a voice broke back in the in, uh, voice broke out in the back. Said, "Hey, we came here to see the others. Where's the famous paintings? Skip this one. Go to the other ones." But the auctioneer persisted. Uh, persisted. Who will bid on this painting? Will somebody start me at a hundred? A hundred? Do I hear two? And still there was silence. Another voice from the right side came up. We didn't come to see this. We came to see the Van Goghs. Where's the Da Vinci's? We want to see the Rembrandt's. Forget this painting. But the auctioneer was steadfast. The sun, he said. Who will take the sun? And finally, a meager voice way in the back called out. And he said, I'll give, I'll give $10 for the painting. $10. It was all he had. It was the gardener who had taken care of the estate. Ten dollars. I have ten dollars, said the auctioneer. Ten, ten. Do I have a twenty? Do I have a twenty? Give the man the painting for ten dollars. Let's get on with the other ones. They began to angrily call. Ten dollars is the bid. Do I get twenty? No one said anything. The crowd became angrier. They wanted the more worthy investments. They wanted the Van Goghs and the others. And finally, with no more, no more bids, going once, going twice, gone for $10. A man sitting in the second row yelled out, all right, now let's get the real auction going. The auctioneer laid down his gavel. He says, I'm sorry, the auction is over. When I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of one stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal this stipulation until after the auction began. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned, he said. Whoever bought the painting of the sun would get the entire estate, including the Van Goghs, the Da Vinci's, and the Rembrandt's. Whoever got the sun got everything. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I'm not my own, but I belong with body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Call on the name of the Lord. Read the word. Test the word. Do the word that you may have eternal life. Whoever, whoever has the Son has life. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the promise that, that all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. So we thank you, Father, for your saving grace. Father, this morning may we walk out knowing that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. May we walk out knowing that if we read the word, do the word, test the word, we will increase our faith. And as we increase our faith, Lord, we know 
that we may overcome the world and that our only comfort in life and death is Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.